Listener Production. Howdy, you are listening to episode 105 of the Howie Games, part B, featuring cricket superstar Steve Smith. Let's get on to the second innings. All right, Smithy, frequent listeners to this show know that I've got a couple of kids. Yep. A 10-year-old and an 8-year-old, who I typically tell about the guest if they're not sure, and then they fire in a question, Smithy. Okay. Now, you need a no introduction. Now, my 8-year-old, who is sport-obsessed, um, loves his cricket, loves watching his cricket, loves playing his cricket. His name is Max Smitty, but he operates yep. under his nickname that he gave himself as the Big Penguin. All right. So you get, hopefully you can hear this, the question from the Big Penguin. Are you ready? Go for it. Hi, Smitty. Big Penguin here. I love your batting style. I really want to bat like you when I'm older or when I'm young. Doesn't matter. I've got two bats. One is a kookaburra and it's a bit small now, but last year it fitted me. And my other one's also a kookaburra and it fits me. I've got, so I've got two. How many bats do you take to a test match? I would really like to know. Rightio. How many bats do I take to a test match? Um, oh, it varies depending on how recent a delivery of new bats I got. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do like new bats. I like going out. Sometimes I just go straight out with a bat without having a hit with it if it feels good. Um, so oh, I'll say I have anywhere between 8 and 13 at times. How do you go with the excess baggage when you roll up with the 13 bats, Smitty? 13. <laughs> yeah, no good. Um, it's it's too many. But, uh, oh, you know, you've, you need to be... Part of preparation, you know, is make sure you've got everything right. And, uh, yeah, for me, if I, um, you know, if for some reason the bat feels a bit different, I need a change, then, um, you know, I like it. So, yeah, I guess I've always just carried a lot of equipment around with me, you know, loads of gloves, How many gloves? I, I love being there in the test morning and if you're overnight, the, the gloves are all lined <laughs> up, the, the sweat's drying out of them. Do you put numbers on them? Have I seen numbers on them? Yeah, so... Yeah, always put numbers on um, so, so many, I know which pair goes together. How many pair of gloves would you go through if you're batting a full day in Test cricket in the middle of summer in Australia? Oh, I'd say somewhere between uh, 12 and 15 and I'd probably I'd change every, I think the guys, the, the 12thies know, they know it's about, it's about 15 minutes. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, they're ready to go um, at about the 15-minute mark. So, um yeah, always, you know, you don't want any excuses, you know. Like, for me, if it's if my glove's getting a bit wet, I change, you know. I don't want to be, again, sitting there thinking, why didn't I change my glove? My, when I tried to hit one and my, my hand was a bit wet and my, my bat slipped out of my hand, that's, an, like, it's an excuse that I don't need. So get rid of it and get some fresh ones that are, that are dry so you don't have any excuses. While we're talking about your idiosyncrasies, Steve, there's various urban legends about you. You can put them <laughs> to pass. Some of them I know are true. Others I don't know are true. We'll talk about them. Sure. Your beautiful <laughs> girlfriend slash fiancé, now wife, Danny. Have you had her operating a bowling machine while you've been in the Nets batting? <laughs> that would be a yes. Uh, <laughs> I love that. I love not, that. Not, <laughs> not many times, just a couple. Um, you know, we live pretty close to the uh, SCG when – when that was, uh, you know, that indoor centre was up and about. It's, it's no longer there at the moment. But, um, yeah, a couple of times I was like, oh, I need a, I want to have a hit. I probably need to have a hit. Can you, um, I've always been big on sort of coaching myself. Um, so I don't get a lot, I don't take, well, I take a lot of advice, but I don't use a lot of it. Um, you know, I, I sieve through it and if it's good, I'll, I'll use it. If it's not, then I'll let it go. So... Um, yeah, with Danny there, she can't give me any advice. She's just there to feed balls and, and I can, you know, do what I need to do and feel what I need to feel and just just find my way. So uh, she did it a couple of times. Hasn't been for a while now. Your current coach uh, who's been on this show, Justin, I remember telling him telling me a story about shadow batting in his hotel room in the middle of the night in his jocks. Are you a shadow batter in your hotel room? I am. Uh, I always... Regardless of um, where I am, I always have a um, a bat in my room in the in the hotel. So quite often, um, you know, I think the guys have become accustomed to my uh, 
my tapping sequence as such, you know, the one in the middle and two behind. The um, blokes next to you in I the think, room. Yeah, I think they, <laughs> they know what it is. So every now and again I'll get a um, – we'll be on our group WhatsApp and um, I think Paddy Cummins has done it a few times. He's been – He's been like five or six rooms away from me and said, Steve, are you batting again? And I'd look down. He, he'd uh, distract me from my shadow batting. I'd look down at my phone and I'd say, yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm just trying to get a few runs in before I go out there. I've heard you discuss this about at times forgetting, in your words, how to hold the bat. What does that mean? Yeah, it happens uh, too often. Um, yeah, I just don't know how my hands go on the bat sometimes. Um, I don't know why or how it happens, um, but it just, I don't know, it does. In the middle of an innings or? No, it it hasn't happened too many times out in the middle. It did happen once. It was a, uh, (laughs) it was a a test match um, at the WACA and uh, against New Zealand. And in in the first innings, I remember, I I think I was batting with Adam Voges. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember telling him he was batting with me, and I was like, "Man, like I'm, I've I've lost my hands. Like I don't I don't know how to hold the bat." And he's like, "What do you mean?" I'm like, "Mate, I don't know how to hold the bat." And then I was like, "I played a shot, and I was like, right, I think I've got it back. I, hit, I think I hit a boundary." And then I was like, "Right, I think I've got it back." And Matt Henry was bowling to me, and I actually gave, I gave in to one of my urges then because I was I was kind of frustrated that I couldn't find my hands and then I found them so I was like geez I'm gonna I'm just gonna try and smack him here the wicket was pretty good and the whacker's quite short straight so I was like I'll try and smack him and I ended up um nicking it I think and uh or did I get a nick it or get bowled I can't remember but I got out and I I remember there was a meme made of actual innings it was like my head was in the air and um (laughs) The bat was just nowhere and I remember there was a meme that said like sometimes you just get a good one or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty funny. But, um, yeah, I lost them and then found them and then I think I got 100 in the second innings there and it just sort of clicked back into place and that was probably the only time it's happened in a game out in the middle. It happens in the nets too often. What do you put it down to? Don't know. Don't know. Huh. Actually, that's a lie. It wasn't, that wasn't the only time it happened. It happened in a – we were playing before the 2017 Ashes. We were playing a Shield game at um, at Hurstville. And um, this is, oh, I don't know who the umpire was. I can't remember. But he probably would have got one of the strangest requests from me on that day. I couldn't find my hands and then I finally found them. So I got to the point where I was holding the bat and I had someone with a, a – uh, <laughs> with a, um, a Sharpie out there marking, like, a point of where my glove was on the uh, on the handle of the bat, on the grip. Wow. And then on my left hand the same. So I was like, yeah, that's how I hold it. So I could see where it was. And then I think <laughs> I played a few big shots. I was slogging a bit at the back end of the innings and the grip moved, so I was gone again. Um, one of your teammates asked me to ask you while we're in this mode about your socks and shoelaces. I didn't know what he meant by that. Yep. Okay. It means something. To, it means something to you, obviously. Oh, you haven't heard this one. No. Rightio. Well, I don't like seeing. So when I bat, I put my pad over the tongue of my shoe, um, and it sits on my shoe. Right. And um, oh, just growing up every now and again, I, I didn't like seeing my shoelaces, the like the long bits or anything, just popping out. Um, I didn't like seeing them. It was a visual thing for me. I didn't didn't like it. And, and when I feel like if I look down and everything looks good and clean, then I'm in a – it just helps me mentally feel like I'm prepared. But if my shoelace comes out, I feel – I just get anxious. Um, I don't like the look of it, um, which is weird, I know. But so um, I, I was just used to tuck it back in. Um, whenever it popped out and then we're playing, I used to sort of fold my, my trousers over so it would sort of sit over the, um, the top of the shoelaces, but every now and again it'd pop out and I'd have to put it back in. And then we're playing, um, playing in the IPL. Um, I was playing for the rising Pune super giants at the time and the trousers we were playing in were, they were like a, a skinny leg jean. They, they, they didn't get a fold. So I couldn't fold my my pant over, my trouser over, 
my shoelace. So I was batting in the first couple of games and I was like, this is ridiculous. My shoelace keeps coming out every second ball. I had to tuck it in. So I was like, I kind of, I think I was talking to um, the physio, Tommy Simsek at the time. And he um, he said, why don't you just, um, I'll tape it to your, your sock. I was like, that could work. And then I, I um, yeah, kept the shoelace as long as I could and then taped it round my calf. On my, I wear footy socks when I bat. Um, taped it round my calf and never had the problem again. I, got a, I, got, I think I got 100 in that game off, off 50 rocks in, a, um, in the IPL game and never looked back. I've, I've taped my, my shoelace to my, sock every, my socks every time. Is this something I can... It's about you, not about me. Um, like if, if I'm in the if I'm in the car, for example, and I'm listening to the radio, as bizarre as it sounds, it's like what you're talking about. It needs to be on an even number on the volume. Okay. Um, when I go to bed at night, I have to move my head into a certain position a couple of times before I, so I can relate to what you're talking about with your batting. Do you have these things in the rest of your life or only in your sporting life? Um, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, oh. Probably, I just don't know them as as well. Um, so, do you think it comes back to that that comfort and set and being prepared that we were talking about back with your routine? Do you think that's what that's that's based on those types of things? Yeah, again, I just minimising like my gloves when they get slightly wet. You know, I don't want I don't want an excuse um, or something to put me off. Um, <clears throat> it, it's about letting go of those sort of. Um, distractions or um, things that, you know, you can, you can control. So for me, not having my shoelaces pop out is something that I can now control. I wish I'd picked it up a bit earlier, but um, I can control that now and I never have to think about, oh, is my shoelace going to come out now? Or It, it kind of made me anxious thinking, oh, my shoelace is sort of starting to pop out. Is it going to pop out? Like it, it made me anxious in the middle and now I don't have that anxiety at all. Um, it's... Uh, it, it doesn't come out. So well, Whatever works, mate. Whatever works. The final one I have for you on these um, parts of your nature, and I remember talking to you about this on Fox Cricket the morning of a, a one-day international, I think it was about sleeping and your sleep patterns during test matches. Yep. Run me through your sleep patterns and how you deal with the fact you're not sleeping much when you're trying to perform at your best. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's not ideal. Um, my, my sleep pattern. I wouldn't. I wouldn't uh, suggest it to anyone. So um, run me through it during a during a test match. Like, how much are you sleeping a night during a test match? So let's say the night before the first ball's bowled, um, knowing that I could potentially be batting tomorrow, um, I I will have very very little sleep, if any. Um, I'm, I'm kind of lucky if I get to sleep. Um, I kind of see it these days. Um, so I, I literally just be laying there and I'll be focusing on, say I'm playing an Ashes test, I'm focusing on Stuart Broad running in at me and Chris Wokes running in at me, where they're trying to bowl, um, where I want to hit them, where, you know, where their fielders are, what, where my boundaries are. Um, I, I, I visualise. Um, it's... Visualization, I think, is a, a really important part of um, of cricket and, and batting. I think it, there's there's a real place for it. Um, unfortunately, I think when I do it is the wrong time. Yep. So, yeah, there's there's been days where um, you know, and you could you could ask my wife. She she was next to me one day. We we played at Lords when I um I scored two my first double hundred at Lords, and uh, I literally did not get a wink of sleep. None whatsoever, and um, just could not could not go to sleep. Um, and I kind of woke up, and it was or not woke up. I, I got up in the morning um, to go to go to breakfast and in the ground, and it was. I just kind of at that stage, I was a little bit anxious about um, not sleeping. I was like, oh, this hope this doesn't impact me in in any sort of negative way. And then then I I got like big runs and I was like, I know that I can function on no sleep in a way. So now when it happens, I don't get anxious about it. I just just get on with it. And does that continue through the entire test match? It, it does and it's probably a reason why I'm, I mean, fourth innings is always the toughest time to bat, but probably 
reflects why my, my fourth innings isn't as good as, you know, perhaps my first, you know, it's um, catching up with me, the lack of sleep. So, so are, we, are we still talking, like you've, you've obviously slept at some stage during the test match, at, at, by, by the end of the, the fifth day, those nights, how many, how many hours could you have slept for a total for a test match? So if I, so we'll say day one we bowl first and I yep. haven't batted yet. The second night will be, so I'll go two nights with pretty much little to no sleep, um, maybe two, three hours tops. Um, so generally, um, that, that's, a, that's a general, um, you know, that's, that's probably an average. So, and then as the game goes on, I'll, I'll start to sleep a little bit more. Um, but it's, it is more the first innings before I bat generally. Um, I think quite often that's where the games yep. won or lost. If you if you do well in the first innings, you, you set yourself up. So I, so what's keeping you awake, mate? Is it is it nerves? Is it anticipation? Is it excitement? Or is it you just wanting to get out there because you love batting so much? Yeah, excitement. <laughs> um, summing up, I, I sort of whenever I get a negative thought come in my head, I, I let it go. Um, but it's all yeah, just focusing on someone running it at me or. You know, just where I'm going to score. It's all it's all positive stuff, um, and just sort of yeah, positive reinforcement in a way. But um, yeah, the wrong time to do it. So it sort of it builds up, and um, you know, if it's if it's a big series, you know, like in England or in India, um, by the end of the series, if 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 I've um, scored a lot of runs, I'm completely mentally cooked. Um, just I think for for particularly long 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 periods of um, just focus and, um, yeah, just being mentally on. But then you add that into little to no sleep, it, it kind of takes its toll. So back end of a test match, I, I get really tired. And then um, end of a series, I think, you know, the last series we had in England at the end, I actually got quite I got quite sick at the end. I was just, when I knew it was all done and I'd finished batting for that last time, um, I walked off the field and I sat down in the dressing room of the Oval and I was just like, like it sort of just overswept me and I just started feeling ill. Um, I was done batting, so it was kind of time to almost switch off. That it was the fifth innings, fourth innings of the game, so we didn't have to field again. It was just like, all right, I'm done. I've given it my all, and um, I literally don't have anything left. I think I remember saying that to. JL, I was kind of like, oh, I wasn't, I was making, a, I think I got 28 or something and I said, my mind was saying like, keep going, keep going, but my body was like, just wanted to shut down. I was just gone mentally and physically. So um, yeah, it takes its toll, but um, certainly something, my sleep is something that I, I keep working on, um, different techniques, listening to rain um, does seem to help at times. Um, you know, the old like Rain Rain, I think is the app on the phone. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just trying to find ways I've done, you know, I've done meditation and things like that before sleeping. I just, it doesn't seem to work. It just, my mind just goes back to cricket and focusing on what I need to do in the middle, unfortunately. We'll talk about that, Ashish, shortly when you came back to the game. I don't want to go into the details of what happened in South Africa. I don't think that serves any purpose, mate. It's not what this show's about. What did you learn about yourself in that period after South Africa when you weren't playing cricket, about yourself and about life? Um, I learned to not take things, like, too seriously in a way, um, just enjoy it. And um, I guess I learned a lot about sort of who my, my close friends are, um, you know, how close my family is and stuff. Um, yeah, it was a, it was a difficult period in my life, obviously getting, having the game that I, you know, I love taken away from me for a year was, um, was hard, but, you know, also I guess at the same time got a chance to, you know, I did a bit of travel, um, travel the world and sort of, um, not on cricket trips and or some on cricket trips and some not and um, you know saw the world um, a little bit differently and um, yeah just kind of had the chance to almost be a, I guess a normal human being um, which 
you know, for, for a period of time was okay, but then I just wanted to, to play again. Um, and it was hard not being able to. Um, particularly when I'd watch, you know, Australia, India that summer um, and India were playing pretty good and, and Australia weren't at their best and I wasn't able to, I just wasn't able to help. Like I felt helpless. I was like, I, I feel like I could make a difference, but I can't, I'm, mm. I can't, I'm not, I'm not out there. I can't do it. So I felt kind of helpless. Um, and then, yeah, I don't know. I just, I sort of got away from, from the game for a bit and um, came back looking at it a little bit differently. And, you know, I, I didn't want to take it, you know, of course it's serious, but um don't want to take it too seriously. Just want to relax and play and just enjoy it. Um, you know, that's why I play the game just because I love it and enjoy it. So at times I let, you know, external um, pressures and, and stuff into my head and, you know, people talking um, or putting extra pressure on um, and things like that. And I let that sort of get to me. Um, so now I, you know, I don't listen to, to a lot about what people say. I just, I'm comfortable in my own skin and, um, yeah, just go about my business and, and enjoy it as much as I can. You know, I'm, you know, really grateful to, to sort of get the opportunity again to, to play for my country. You know, I, I, I've, I've always loved it and, um, yeah, love what I do. So, yeah, it was tough losing it but um, for a year, but glad it, glad I'm able to sort of come back and, you know, I, I, I kind of try and take positives out of every situation. You know, there's there's not too many athletes that, you know, at the um, top of their game have a, a year off. Mm. So I was kind of like, you know, I could break this up in my career up into two parts, you know, um, and have – and that year off might, you know, add, prolong it at the back end perhaps. Um, so sort of use it as a time to refresh and – reset and um yeah just get myself back to a position where you know I can enjoy it again and just play the game that I love what is it like the the two defining images of that period for me is you leaving South Africa amongst a press pack that I'd never seen before and the venom that was being sent your way I'd never seen before and then the second image that um I was watching it again today. It was when your dad put his hand on your shoulder in the press conference and I just thought, wow, that bloke is just, that's everything I hope I could do for my son in that situation. What's it like when you are in the middle of the modern media spotlight and you've been so often there in a positive light, what is it like when it's on the other side of the equation, Smitty? Yeah. um, Well, I'll go to... Uh, leaving South Africa to begin with, that was walking through that airport is, um, it's like nothing I've ever seen before in my life. Um, it was, it was actually really dangerous, um, for the people around me. You know, I had all these officers and stuff holding each other's hands like and I was in the middle of them and um, walking through and there was people falling over, getting trampled on, that were holding cameras and microphones and a few people fell over. It was, I was like kind of concerned for their safety and I was like, this is, what is all this about? Like, this is remarkable. Because um, like I'd never, I never play I've never played the game to sort of be in the spotlight or anything in any way. You know, I just play the game because I love the game and it sort of comes, I guess, with the territory now at the top level, um, I suppose, with um, with media and, and what have you. So you've you got to learn to deal with it. But, um, yeah, that was, that was on another level. I've never seen anything like that before and I hope to never see anything like that again. Um, and then, yeah, when I get got back to Australia, obviously that, that press conference there was, you know, really tough. Um, never really experienced anything like that either, you know, just so many lights flashing in your face and people in the room and, um, yeah, it was, 
oh, it was a it was a difficult moment. But yeah, like as you said, my old man, you know, really grateful that he was able to be there with me and help me get through what was a difficult moment. Um, anytime you think about making a, a questionable decision, think about who you're affecting. You're affecting your parents and to see the way my old man's been. <laughs> And <laughs> well, thanks, everybody. And my mum, it's, it hurts. You know, one of my best mates was there as well. He came out to the airport and he was in the back room with me. And um, I remember after I spoke, I kind of went back in the back room and just broke down uh, in tears. And I was, uh, yeah, kind of nowhere for, for a while. Um, didn't really know what to do. Um, yeah, all this... Um, stuff had happened and uh, things were taken away from me and I was kind of, I just didn't know what to do. Um, and it wasn't a, wasn't a nice mental space to be in, but really fortunate that, you know, I have a, a, a nice close group of friends and, and family that, um, you know, my wife who sort of went through it all with me, um, helped me get through and come out the other side. Um, there were certainly days where, you know, I didn't, I actually fell out of love with cricket, um, which I'd never done before. And that was when, that was probably towards the back end of um, of my band, um, just before I was back playing, when I, I did my uh, elbow. Mm-hmm. I was in a brace and I was kind of, um, yeah, there was the, uh, the IPL was coming up, which I was kind of touch and go for. Um, and then... On the back of that, I was hopefully, you know, going to be back part of the one-day team in the World Cup and the Ashes, but it was kind of all uncertain. So, you know, I don't really like uncertainty. Um, you know, uncertainty sort of gives me anxious moments. But um, so I was in this this cast and I just fell out of love. I was like, I don't even know if I want to play anymore. Um, and I never, ever felt that way about the game. Like I just, you know, I love it. I, I could play for hours and hours and... And love it. So that was really foreign to me. And then it was really weird. Um, I felt that way for a few weeks when I was in my car, in my um, my brace that I had on. And then the day I got my brace off, it was it was so weird. Like it was it was kind of like a trigger. I took off the brace, and it was like, all right, I, you know, I want to play cricket again. Like I I love it. Like I want to get back into it. And it was, yeah, it was like a trigger when as soon as I took it off, I was like, I'm ready to go. I need to, you know, get myself out of this stupid mindset that I'm in that I don't like being in and start focusing on what I love and get back to playing and hitting balls again and just enjoying it. And it was that moment I kind of said, you know what, whatever happens, happens, you know, you you, you're going to give yourself your best chance to succeed again. Um, you're doing what you love. Um, you're fortunate to, to be in a position you're in playing playing cricket. You know, it's what you've always wanted to do. Why why throw it all away? Because um, your mental state's not there, you know. Get through it and do what you love. Like, like I said, I'm doing what I love, so get back to it. It's a very candid answer. I want to talk to you about um, a bloke we both know well, Gussie Wall, and, and got you for life and what you did in that period. But to frame that, I asked you what you'd learnt during that period. Mental health, and uh, I was talking to Gussie today and he said it's better for blokes to call it mental fitness because as a bloke we look at health and we get a bit edgy about talking about it, but he says we're into to fitness. What have you learnt, not just in that period, in that year, but with the ups and downs as an international sports, and we talked about it, you can make 200 one day and you can get out first ball the next day. What have you learned about keeping your mental health, your mental fitness on an even level, Steve, across what is a undulating career as far as performance goes? Yeah, I think um, it's about not getting too, I guess, ahead of yourself when you're doing well or not getting obviously be disappointed when you don't and try and learn from whatever you've done, um, that you failed, um, try and learn from it. But at the same time, just try and keep yourself on a, on a a sort of level playing field. Um, and just, yeah, for me, I, I just take it back to just enjoying it. Um, 
And if I'm doing that and, and having fun, then you don't take yourself too seriously. You know, you, you just play and, um, of course, there's, there's a lot at stake and you're playing international sport, there's always pressure and stuff. But like, I think, like I said a bit earlier, don't let that ex, um, extra pressure get to you. Just go out and do your thing. Why you started as a kid, you know, you just enjoyed playing the game. So, yes, you're doing it on a higher scale now, but you're still playing a game. Just have fun and, and play the game. More of Smudger in a moment. Please don't forget to check out the full back catalogue of over 100 episodes of the show. Now, some you may have missed, including all the way back to episode one, our debut, featuring Adam Gilchrist, a man that changed the game, dominated the game. Everybody loves Gilly, but not everyone calls him Gilly. Those around you from the cricket fraternity, um, and it threw me at first because they'd, they'd call you church or yeah. they'd call you... Eric, and sometimes you sign your text messages, Eric. Yep. Um, was this a name bestowed on you in that On, on that, that tour, tour, yeah. Little kid walking around the ground with uh, Steve Waugh and Glenn McGrath and a little kid runs up at in Bristol. So it's like a, a, a county ground so kids and public get access to. He runs up with his little program, tour guide, and look, instantly knows Steve Waugh. Steve Waugh, Steve Waugh gets him to sign the picture there. And, oh, Glenn McGrath. And, Gets Pigeon to sign that, and then he looks at me, and he's sort of thumbing through his book, <laughs> flicking pages back and forth, going, "What?" Uh, uh, and he says, "Are you Eric Gilchurch?" <laughs> <laughs> Eric Gilchurch, and only two people heard that, and that was Tugger and and uh, and and Pidge, and then that stuck. Yeah. So within the team, it was Churchy or Eric. That's one of the great nicknames. Right, yeah. and it's got a great story going with it. That's Adam Gilchrist in episode one of the show. All right, back to Steve. Big Gussie Wallen, who I mentioned, the biggest hearted man I know. If anyone's come across him, when they hear this, they'll smile because that's the type of dude he is. He's a man that will have struggled during this period because he loves to hug people, which obviously we can't do at the moment. You would know this. You would have been caught. I was going to mention that. You would have been that. caught in his big bear hugs. He has a wonderful movement is the best way of describing it called Gotcha for Life. And I talked to him today and it's, it's based around suicide. And he was telling me, Smitty, that um, prior to COVID, eight Australians commit suicide every day. And he was telling me during this COVID period that's gone up to 12, which in our terms a day is a cricket team and your 12th man every day, Um, which is a truly frightening thing. And he got you involved in your period out of the game and still doing it. He said, I think you're up to 40 schools where you've gone into schools and he described you as being... Courageous was his word, Smitty, to put your true self out there and be vulnerable in front of large groups of students. What has that experience been like for you? What have you gained from it and what have you tried to impart from it along the way? <clears throat> yeah, it's, um, you know, I'm really uh, glad that I, you know, I got involved with, with Gussie and, and got you for life. He's a, he's a terrific guy and, um, you know, the... The foundation does some, you know, amazing stuff. Um, and being able to go out to schools and sort of tell my story, um, you know, of where my mental state was in, in my year off and, um, you know, to let young kids know that I guess it's okay not to be okay sometimes and to, for, for particularly young blokes um, to be able to talk about what they're going through Um is it's really important, you know. It's it's kind of the um, it's an old school way of thinking. Um, blokes just sort of to say, mate, just get on with it. You'll be fine, you know. I, I think that's really old school and outdated. And now I think it's um, it is courageous and um, and uh, you know the new age of thinking or the new way of thinking. I think is to to be able to talk about what you're going through mentally and. Um, and, and help yourself in that way. Um, you know, it's no good to, to bottle things up. And I, I know I use an, a sort of an analogy um, when I talk to these kids. It's like every problem you go through, um, it's like blowing into a balloon. Each, each problem you don't face or, um, or talk about, you keep blowing in and it gets to a point where the balloon just bursts. And um, in life, there's, a, there's no coming back from that. Um, 
and those those rates, as you said, you know, six six men, two women a day, um, and as as you said, Gus has said, it's gone up. Um, it's unacceptable, I think, in this in this society. You know, that's 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 way too many people taking their own lives each day. So, you know, we're trying to create awareness around that, and you know, like you work on your you know, we call it mental fitness, you know, like you work on your, your fitness and your physical aspects in the gym, you've still got to work on your mental fitness and, um, you know, try and keep that in a good place. And having, yeah, I guess my story, having, having four people that when I was going through my difficult times that I could talk to, my wife, um, my best mate, my manager and, and, and my old man, um, four people that were just close to me that I could just have, you know, honest conversations with, um, let whatever I wanted to off my chest. Um, and, and they'd give me, um, you know, sound advice. So yeah, I, I think it's important for, for young people or, or everyone to, to have, um, someone that they can have those, those open and honest conversations with. Um, and yeah, I think, yeah, I'll, I'll go back to one of, one of my, um, the first schools we went to, um, bit of a story here that sort of motivated me to continue to want to do this work. Um, we went out to a school and we gave our chat. Um, and then I was driving home and, um, Gussie called me and he said, uh, mate, on the back of your chat, um, we've got two kids at the school that have, uh, gone in the office and said that they're, planning to take their own life this weekend but now they want to get some some help and I kind of my heart just sank I was like oh geez that's that's uh that's deep stuff um and it was kind of that was it was literally like our first chat or one of our first chats and um it was kind of like wow this is this is powerful stuff this is to hear that this sort of thing can can make a difference um this early um, it was like, wow, we've got we to keep doing this, you know. We've got to keep creating this awareness and letting these people know that they can talk about what they're going through and not bottle it up and, and let it get to those points where, you know, you have those awful thoughts in your head to, to take your own life or harm yourself in any way. Um, yeah, it's not acceptable. So, um, yeah, it's been great working with Gus and going out to the schools and, and trying to create that awareness. You must be incredibly, I don't know if proud's the right word, touched to hear stories like that, mate, that you can put what was a really negative period in your life and you said wanting to turn it into a positive. Well, you can't get more positive than having an effect on saving people's lives, Smitty. Young people that have got their whole life ahead of them that could do amazing things that could shape the world. If you've had a part to play in continuing their journey, that's that's the ultimate positive from what we were talking about before. Yeah. Um, oh, I just remember that the, the conversation when Gus called me and told me that I had to, I had to pull over and I kind of just, I was just shocked. I was taken aback that in a, in a group of, I don't know how many people were there, a couple of hundred. Um, yeah. These two people had got up and, you know, so glad that they were able to do that and be honest and um, and, and get the help they needed. But it did, um, oh, I think I, I kind of <laughs> I burst into tears. I was like, geez, this is, this is scary. Um, but knowing that um, I was able to have some kind of um, impact and, and make that difference, um, yeah, made me want to keep doing it and, and help people in, in, in any way that I can. Um, and yeah, we've had some, some really positive feedback from a lot of the schools we've been to and, um, yeah, just glad that they've taken something out of it. Um, yeah. And it's, it's been, it, it's been great to, to work with Gus and, and do this. He relayed a story to me when you came back from the ashes, you said, oh, mate, I've got two days, two days off. Can we go and see some schools? Which he said, blew him away. He also explained to me that you'd recently recorded a Zoom style chat about what you deliver to schools and that's being edited at the moment. So we have a lot of people in the education industry listen to this and they'll be like, right, how can we get Steve to the school? Well, it's not possible to go to every school, but we'll put in the show notes because by the time this goes to air, the video will be available. Gus is going to distribute it. 
and through the wonders of modern technology, your message will be able to be sent out to schools everywhere, which is bloody tremendous. So, mate, we'll put that in the show notes. You come back, you come back to cricket pretty much a year ago today, I think it is. Birmingham, first test back, 144. Hundred forty two, Smithy, you smashed the English everywhere. I still remember the late nights watching you. You're talking about your elbow brace and falling out of love with the game. Then you go there and it's not has he lost anything? It's Evans above. This bloke's actually seemed to have got better. What was it like going back out there and starting at a higher point than you'd actually finish, which most people didn't think was achievable? Full driven away. Hundreds in the same test match for Stephen Smith. He joins an elite group of Australians who have done that. Redemption is well and truly complete. Uh, yeah, it was... Um, obviously, we, we had the World Cup before where, um, you know, I wasn't as uh, successful personally as I would have liked or as a team we didn't, we didn't get uh, where we wanted to. But, um, yeah, then it was the Ashes and... Yeah, that was the one I was kind of, um, you know, I, I just love Test cricket, so I was I was so excited about getting back. And I remember the day before the the Test match, I, I hit. I wasn't hitting the ball as well as I would have liked, um, so I hit hit for a long time, and I, I sort of found some rhythm and got myself into a a good place. Um, you know, I, I like to do that, but particularly before a Test match, I. I don't like to to go in feeling unprepared in any way. Um, I you know if I have to, I'll I'll keep the coach there. I remember I think what was it? It was probably two thousand and fifteen. I think Michael Divinuto was the batting coach, and um, I was shanking the ball everywhere. I could not hit the middle, and I was I was just nowhere. And everyone had left training, and I kept Diva with me. He was throwing me balls. I reckon for. Oh, two two and a half hours, three hours after everyone left, um, and I was cooked. But I knew I needed to do it because I I don't like feeling underprepared. So yeah, it was a bit like that. I just kept hitting and I hit a lot of balls, um, and I got myself to a point where right, I'm found some rhythm, feel good. Let's uh, let's go out and do this. Um, I knew it was going to be a, a big challenge. Um, you know, Ashes series in England. Um, there'd been a fair bit of talk. I, I remember a while ago about me playing the Dukes ball. So I kind of felt like I had something to prove in a way. Um, and I like trying to prove things. I think that gets that extra bit of motivation that, um, you know, that just give, it just takes you. To, I feel like it takes me to another level when I need to prove someone wrong or something. Um, so yeah, to go out and, and get a hundred, um, my first game back, um, that first day, uh, when we were under the pump, really, it was, you know, wickets were falling around me and, um, it wasn't easy. So yeah, to, to get to three figures there, um, sort of just gave me the confidence to know straight away. Um, I never doubted it. I never doubted my ability, but it was like, it just reassured me in a way. It was like, you can do this, like, you haven't lost it, you're good. So um, got that straight away, which was nice, and, yeah, it was kind of smooth sailing. Second test at Lords, and we'd seen Jofra Archer. I saw him for the first time at Blunston when he's playing for the Hurricanes, and he sort of – we hadn't seen him, and he wandered in off 12 steps and just went bang into the keeper's gloves. Like, wow, who's this? The, the, the build-up in the UK – for his test debut was quite extraordinary and it was like, right, this bloke's going to bowl rockets. How's Steve Smith going to go about it? How's it going to take place? Is it so often in sport these battles are built up, Smitty, and you'd be aware of it. Whether you read the papers or not, you're going to be aware of it. Well, there's been a lot of talk ahead of this game about this particular contest. Australia's best player against the debutant and quickest England bowler, Jofra Archer. This battle didn't let anyone down. What are your memories of that 
that innings at Lords and him steaming in and you getting hit a couple of times, then putting him to the fence, and then eventually when he when he did hit you, that was not being hit, obviously, but that's the most captivating Test cricket I've probably seen for ten years. I think watching that. Yeah, um, I'll take it back even further, actually, if that's all right. Please do. We played, so he played in my IPL team. He was at Rajasthan and oh, he was very cagey. Was he? I reckon I faced five balls off him. Huh. I don't know if it was uh, he got told or not, or wow. but he wouldn't bowl to me ever. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I thought that was pretty cagey. Um, so I'd only, yeah, faced like five balls, I reckon. Um Against him, um, and then yeah, we get to to Lords, and you know we'd, we'd seen a lot of um, of Jofra in um, you know seen him play in the Big Bash in IPL. Um, obviously, at that point, we'd seen a bit of one day cricket that he'd played for England, um, and I'd had a few conversations with a few guys that you know I'm close with in county cricket that had played against him, and how he tried to bowl with a red ball, looked at a lot of footage and stuff, and. Yeah, we knew he was going to be, you know, he's, he's, he's a good bowler um, and he's got that sort of pace factor, obviously, that not many people have, you know, they can get up around 150. Um, so it's, yeah, it's a nice little trick to, I guess, have up your sleeve. So <laughs> that day was was tough work. Um, the wicket was kind of, with the older ball, it was actually almost, I felt kind of harder. It was um, a bit up and down. Um, and Lords is... Lords is a unique place to bat, you know. You've got you've actually got some distraction there in a way. You've got the the, the members sitting right behind the bowler's arm, um, underneath the sight screen. So there's there's always just you know something there that doesn't quite look right. So you've got to and, and for me that's a you know I don't know like I if I'm in the nets and there's someone standing behind, I tell them to get out of the way. Like yes. I, I'm very aware of my surroundings of what I'm looking at so that um you know having played at Lords a few times I've kind of gotten used to it but it's still it takes me a bit every time I go out there it's just different because you're seeing these people but anyway yeah that's um side the point um <laughs> but uh he uh yeah it was a, a hostile spell you know he's getting up I remember looking up at the screen every now and again and he was getting up at 93, 94 mile an hour. I think he maybe hit 96 at one point. I was like, yeah, he feels like he's bowling pretty quick. Um, you know, sort of, I was saying, get through whoever I was with. I think, I can't remember who I was batting with. I was like, just kind of get through this spell. You know, he's probably only got two overs, three overs of this and then get through this and then, you know, it'll get easier. Oh, there you go. For once. For once. A little bit of a blow and a pain and he looks uncomfortable. Um, they're the kind of conversations you have out in the middle and then sort of kept coming and, yeah, hit me in the arm first, um, which it, that hurt. Um, I had a huge egg on my arm. Blow from Jofra Archer on the arm. Well, this could be a, an important moment in the series, this. Oh, the vision, the vision in the Amazon doco is amazing where JL's on the radio saying, you know, is he all right, he's all right, and the doc's getting back saying, oh, if you can get through the next over or so. Like, there's, there's, a, there's an orange on your arm man, yeah. at this point. What's the story, Lakes? Looking to be okay. You know, I've got a bit numb, but should we get better over the next over or so? Thank you. That blew up and, um, yeah, it was uncomfortable. Um, I couldn't really... I was really struggling to, you know, when you get, if you get hit on the floor, like you can sometimes lose your grip. Mm-hmm. So I lost the strength in my grip. So I was kind of, um, that was like playing with my mind a bit. Um, and then, yeah, it just, it was, it wasn't easy. And it was, a, it was a bloody good spell of bowling too. My word. So, um, yeah, I was just trying to find a way to, to get through it. Um, had a bit of luck. I tried to play a few like pull shots and stuff. Um, the hardest thing was actually, Defending, um, getting that front sort of elbow up—that was that was the toughest thing to do. Australia trail by 72, but this is a key moment not only in the game but the series. Steve Smith, how is he with that arm? Um, I was kind of playing shots or trying to get out of the way, and um, yeah, it was tough. Um, and then obviously copped one on the the back of the head. It was it was a weird one. It kind of went when you play at Lords, you, you you've got um, for those out there that haven't played or been to Lords, um, it's a, the slope is very big and 
the ball generally goes the way the slope goes. And this ball, for some some reason, kind of came up the slope and sort of followed me. And I just got myself in a position I couldn't get out of the way. Um, and then, yeah, hit me on the back of the back of the head. Like the first thing that actually came to my mind was um, was my mate Husey, um, who got hit in a you know very similar position, and I'm there kind of going, like, I'm all right. Like I'm, I was kind of like, it's not fair. Why am I okay? But he wasn't in a way. That was in your mind at the time. That was the first thing that came to my mind when I got hit because of where it was. Um, it was pretty much. It was a very similar spot. It was. So that was that was literally the first thing, and then after that, that sort of faded out. Um, I was like, I want to keep batting. Like, I've got a feeling they're going to take me off, but I just wanted to, to keep batting. There's someone out there. There's someone out there big time. Um, and then, yeah, they told me I had to to come off and, and go through the um, concussion tests, um, which I passed at that stage. Um, and at that stage, I think there was still loads of adrenaline running and what have you and felt okay. Um, so past that test, my arm was still very sore. Um, so I'd got a, I got an arm guard on for the first time ever in my career. Um, and then, yeah, I think Peter Siddle got out and I was allowed to go back out and bat. Interesting now, yeah, it is Steve Smith. He's going to come back out. This is very courageous and brave from Steve Smith. I think first ball I faced, I slogged one over mid-wicket. You did? Because I was, I just couldn't, I was honestly defending the ball and getting my elbow up was the toughest thing to do. So I was like, I need to play some shots here and then played a, a slog and I think I played a really, really nice back foot punch off, um, off Wokes here as well, I think. What a, what a response that is. For some reason I decided to, to leave one on middle stump um, when I said to myself, I just was just going to keep slogging. Close, sure, yes! In swinger from Wokes. Smith is reviewing, but I think he's done. Um, so why I left it, I'm not sure. But, um, yeah, walked in the sheds and I was pretty angry at myself um, for leaving one um, when I, my mind was to just keep slogging. Um, and I was I was letting my urges get in. I just wanted to slog. That's it, because it was the most comfortable thing to do, um, and try and get as many runs as we could in that period of time. You know, there wasn't many wickets left, so try and get as many as we could. And um, yeah, unfortunately, left one and got angry at myself, and um, and that was it. Jo- Joffre spoke in the in the series about well, they just couldn't get you out. They said everything he's doing, we can't stop him. And it's weird, you know, because every time he bats, he just, I don't know what it is, like, he literally cannot get out. <laughs> like, the ball just lands, especially if he pays a bad shot, the ball just lands in no man's land for the whole series, you know. But um, obviously he's a good batter, he's got a good temperament, but I just don't know what it is. Like, the ball never, ever goes to hand. So you obviously had the next test match off, and then you came back, Manchester, I don't know how much sleep you got that test, Smitty, because you made 211 and 82, so you're out there for the majority of the test match. Is there any place in your mind that the whole world was watching to see how you were going to play Joffre Archer and what he was going to do? And from memory, I think he actually pitched the ball up a fair bit early. I I could be wrong there, but there was a massive build-up to the test match about what was going to happen when you two met in the middle again. Did you have any fear, any trepidation or... Your skill is your skill, so you don't have that. No, I was I was excited. Um, <laughs> of course you were. Like, like I, I kind of mentioned, it was it was a pretty tough wicket that um, Lord's wicket. Like it was it was a bit up and down with that old ball, um, and it wasn't the bounce was a bit variable. So that was tough. And I knew going to Old Trafford, I played there a few times. It's, it's normally a beautiful wicket. It's probably as close as you get to Australia uh, in England, like decent pace and bounce. So I thought. You know, you can try that sort of tactic there and it would just be, you know, you'd just be able to get underneath it or do what you need to do. So I didn't think that tactic would work. Um, and, yeah, he, um, he's, the thing with Joffre is he's, whilst he bowl, can, can bowl those quick spells, he's actually got good skills too. Mm. 
which is, um, you know, and he probably doesn't bowl quite as fast when he's trying to um, use those skills. So he did that quite a bit with the, um, I got him pretty early, I think, with the new ball. And, you know, it's one of those, um, you know, you don't want to waste the new ball, um, particularly on a wicket like that, where you want to keep it as hard as you can for um, as long as you can. So it was kind of like, I hope they bowl short at me because, you know, it's just going to soften the ball up and stop it from um, from doing whatever it's doing um, and it'll get easier for everyone else. So it's kind of like, go for that tactic, do it. But they, um, yeah, they kind of went away from it for a bit and then came at it for a bit. And, yeah, it was a, a nice wicket and, um, yeah, got myself in and um, away we went. Can you, I went through those scores, 144, 142, 92, didn't bat, 211, 82, 80 and 23 when you said you just cooked at the end. Can you improve on that? Can your batting get better? Like I know those numbers are there, but like can you continue to improve as a batsman? Is there more in your game still to come, do you reckon? I hope so. Yeah. That's what, you know, you strive for. That's why you train. You, You want to get better. You don't want to be complacent. You don't want to think you've you've got the game sorted the moment you think you've got the game sorted it'll bite you in the backside pretty quick so you want to keep getting better um find areas of the game you you need to get better at and um whether it be technically or mentally or physically um there's always something you can work on so um that's the beauty of our game you know you You've always got something to, to work on at practice and um, to try and get better. So, yeah, I, I certainly think I can get better, that's for sure. You've been so generous with your time. I didn't got a few more for you. Talking about getting better. Steve Smith, the guitarist. A lot of people a lot of people wouldn't see this in action. I've had the pleasure of seeing you in a hotel foyer doing a very nice version of Bob Dylan's Knocking on Heaven's Door and a few other songs. <laughs> why Why did you come to the guitar later in life? Was it to have something to take your mind off cricket or not? Yeah, so I tried to learn, I think, when I was, I don't know, 20-odd, and I, I went down, bought a guitar, and... Uh, I uh, did it for about a week and my fingers were sore and, you know, you, when you first start, you get the, that soreness in your fingers and I kind of was, I was like, I didn't want to, I didn't want to hurt myself in a way and then get, I was playing cricket at the time and I was yeah. like, I don't want that pain when I go out and play. So I was like, oh, I kind of, you know, how, how I sort of said all the time, I don't want any excuses. So, mm-hmm. um <laughs> I don't, um, I, I let it go and I, I sort of was a bit of a, a wimp with the pain. So I was like, nah, this isn't for me. So put it away for a bit. And then um, when I was banned in my year off, I was like, um, I need to do something productive with, with my time. So I thought, about, <laughs> I thought about learning a language to begin with. I downloaded Duolingo on my phone and I started. Oh, yeah. So I, re- I remember reading a book a while ago. Um, it's called <laughs> Industries of the Future. <laughs> this will be good. Yeah, and it said um, the oh, what are the there were three things. I can't remember the third one, but the other two things was um, so there were three things you should um, teach your kid or let your kid do, um, and they were learn Mandarin, uh, <laughs> learn Mandarin, um, coding. And, geez, I can't remember the third one. Bad memory. But uh, anyway, so I thought, right here, I, um, you know, I'll start learning Mandarin. So <laughs> <laughs> I got through the, um, about the first session um, and then the second one and I was like, I learned a few words and then I was like, this is too hard. What are you doing with yourself? <laughs> um, so then I was like, right, oh. And then I thought about learning Hindi and I thought, Oh, you know, nah, not at this stage. I know a few words here and there, but nah. So I thought, why not? I'll learn, um, I'll give guitar a crack again. I don't have any 
you know, I've just got to get through that little pain barrier with my fingers and be good to go. Can you remember any of that Mandarin? Can you give me two words in Mandarin? <laughs> yeah, I think it's uh, new ren, which is right. woman and I think it is, and nan ren, which is man. They were the first two things. I remember they were. The, I was walking around the house saying these, and um, Danny was there going, "You know, man and woman, but you don't even know how to say hello. Like, surely you should learn that first. And I was like, "Listen, that's. I'm just going off Duolingo. This is what they're telling me to do. So, deal with it." <laughs> um, so then, the guitar is it. Is it something that comes naturally to you? Uh, do you enjoy it? How's it going? Are you improving? Where you at? Yeah, it's uh, I, I enjoy it now. It's um, it's kind of I think tough getting into it initially and learning the chords and and what have you. But yeah, I think there was just one moment, probably I don't know, a year in, where I just sort of um, clicked into place a bit, and you, you could you know play play a tune a bit better and um, strum that to the right sort of tune and and what have you. I still find it difficult at times singing with the tune and um, my voice isn't great. So that's uh, <laughs> that's not a great start. But um, started recently, like played my first song, sort of finger picking. Uh, I've been playing um, This City by um, Sam Fisher, which is a mm-hmm. cool song. Um, so I can't sing with it. It's too hard to, I find it really hard to get the tune and sing with yep. finger picking. But yeah, it's cool. It's, makes a cool sound and um yeah so I'm getting better but um I try and pick it up I try and pick up the guitar most days for at least five minutes um and just yeah keep my fingers rolling and um keep the calluses there on the fingers and what guitar are we using uh I don't know uh it's sitting over there I won't be getting are, it are you using <laughs> a pick or just your fingers bit of both okay I look forward to seeing you in action again and <laughs> how much you've improved. One day. <laughs> Couple more for you. Now you had the you had the big penguin. Now you get my daughter, the pickle. Her name is Skye, but she rolls with the pickle. Uh, she, she loves her, her running. She asked me this. I said, I, I wouldn't have a clue, sweetie. So ask Smitty. So here you go. Hi, Smitty. Pickle here. You and Finchie are my equal favourite cricketers. Last year we had cross country and it was 2Ks and my best time was 8 minutes 30 and I won and I was pretty happy with that. Do you like doing the 2K time trial and what's your best time and who's the best in the Australian cricket team? Right. Pickle, glad you like your running. It's a great form mm. of fitness. Loves it. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, okie doke. Uh, 2K time trial. I don't mind it. Um, yep. I prefer I prefer longer distance than that, um, yeah, I'd prefer to do like a 10 k than a 2 k because um, you need to go pretty quick, I reckon, in the 2 k um, yes. Best time is seven minutes on the dot, hmm. which I did at the start of this preseason. Three and a half minute Ks. Wow. Yeah, I was disappointed. I think I had a bit better in me. I, I didn't time my last lap very well um, and I had a bit left in me at the end, so I think I probably could have got a six 6.55, I reckon. But, um, yeah, happy with, with seven minutes, not bad. Um, I think, I don't know who's the best in the squad. Um, I think Alex Carey would be up there, um, particularly being coming from an AFL background where obviously yeah. they they just run and run and run. Um, he probably hits a 6.20 maybe. Um, I think Marnus is pretty good. I think he hit a 6.29 or something. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're probably two of the better ones. And give us something to aim for. Last question I have for you, talking about the kid, talking about the kids, mate. We are lucky enough to have a lot of kids listen to this show, whether it be on the way to training or to guitar lessons or to science class or whatever it may be. If you could give them one piece of advice, this is always the hardest question. If you could give them one piece of advice, Smitty, for youngsters that want to achieve something in their life, want to succeed in their chosen field, what would that piece of advice be, mate? Um... Just be the best at it you can be. Um, work hard, work smart, I think, um, more importantly. Um, sometimes I think people can work hard and, um, you know, spend a long time on something, where, whereas it, it could be actually a shorter period of time that 
that you work more productively or, or learn more. So work smart, I prefer to say, than work hard. Um, and just give it, give it your all. Um, you know, if, if it's what you want to do, then give it everything you got and, um, and do everything you can to, to make your dream come true. It's great advice, mate. Um, gee, I've kept you for a while. What's it been like going through it all? Mate, all good. Enjoyed it. Mate, you're a star. I've enjoyed it immensely. People will love listening. The stuff you talked about with Gus and Gotcha for Life, we'll put in the show notes. I think it was um, wonderfully well spoken. Uh, good luck in the UK, mate. The IPL, if you get there, hopefully we see a Test Series versus India. We see you on Fox Cricket sometime very soon. Um, I look forward to seeing you play both on the field and in the bar with your guitar, Smitty. Um, mate, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Thanks for coming on the Howie Games, mate. Cheers, Howie. Good to be on here, mate. The reason this show came about was to aspire to have conversations like that. I hope you all enjoyed hearing from Steve as much as I did chatting with him. I also hope you gained an insight into the fine man that Steve is not just the cricketer. Thanks to Smitty for being a wonderful, open and really engaged guest and for Steve's manager, Warren Craig, for organising the whole thing and to the both of them for trusting in the show enough to be involved. Nice work by the show's main man, Darcy Thompson, for keeping everything on track as he always does. Please, if you could all do me a favour and get yourself involved in the Howie Games hotline by sending me in questions and comments to the phone number and keep an ear out for the first edition of the Howie Games hotline next week. It'll be in your usual Howie Games podcast feed. Plus, don't forget, next up on the show, Mark Philippousis. Until then, peace and love. And we can do it if we try, try, try. If we try, try, try. If we try, try, try. Listener.